0: Isn't it wonderful to worship with a bunch of Jesus-loving followers of Christ? Just point of reference, don't ever get to a place you just get used to it. It is rare to find a body of believers that is just all out, sold out for Jesus and is willing to show it. This is an incredible, incredible opportunity every single week. So, show of hands this morning, how many of you have ever heard of a company called Successories? Okay, there's a few of you that are out there. For those of you that are not familiar with that particular company, they are the ones who produce a lot of your motivational posters and cards even a few inspiring coffee mugs. And you will find these showing up in different offices and boardrooms, hotel lobbies. Many times you'll see them in airports. They're all over the place. But if you're trying to get your mind around what some of these are like, let me put a couple of those up. Here's one. It is of a bald eagle. And for those of you who might have trouble seeing the, the writing on this, it says excellence. Excellence is the result of caring more than others think is wise, Risking more than others think is safe, dreaming more than others think is practical, and expecting more than others think is possible. You get all of that awesomeness with a bald eagle. (laughs) That's good stuff. Okay, so here's another one for you. It's a picture of somebody who is standing above the cloud line, and there's the caption. It says, make it happen. Some people want it to happen. Some people wish it would happen. Other people make it happen. That's a quote from Michael Jordan, one of my favorite players ever. Now, some of you might have seen my social media post from a couple of weeks ago. If not, I just got a new pair of Jordans. That has nothing to do with the message I just like to tell people. So so with that being said, successories, it has a beautiful picture, usually an inspiring quote, an idea behind it. And whenever they came out, there was some other companies that started doing something similar. And then there was another market that opened up of a company that started demotivational quotes. So let me give you a few of those. These are just funny. Here's the first of those. It is a picture of guys on a crew team. They're going early in the morning. Here's the caption. Get to work. You aren't being paid to believe in the power of your dreams. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Here's another one for your viewing pleasure. This is one, says optimism. It's a guy who is trying to put out a brush fire with a water can. And it says optimism. There are times when the thought just doesn't count. (laughs) As you can see, I like my motivation with a little bit of sarcasm, a dose or so of reality. It keeps me grounded, makes me laugh. It's a win-win all the way around. Now, humor aside, we all recognize that motivation is a powerful tool in life. Motivation many times is going to be the extra incentive that somebody needs to make decisions they would not normally make or to do things they would not normally do or for that matter to go through and make changes that they've been putting off for a period of time. Motivation is often going to be a key component in a person's success or failure, money and advancement, as well as health and knowledge and fulfillment. Motivation is a powerful powerful motivator powerful tool so with motivation as your backdrop I have a question a spiritual question for you this morning what motivated you to enter relationship with God what motivated you to enter relationship with God now that being said I'm not talking about the theological components That is, we recognize, if you're followers of Christ, if you've been reading, studying your Bible, we recognize that the Holy Spirit has to draw someone. We recognize that the Holy Spirit has to illumine a deceived mind. We recognize the Holy Spirit has to enable somebody to understand the gospel message. All of those are factors that also lead into your salvation, but they're not necessarily always that motivating set of circumstances that God used to get your attention. So what was happening in your life that woke you up to spiritual matters? For some people, they might have been struggling with sin or addiction of some kind. And for that individual, they hit rock bottom. And when they got there, all of a sudden, their mind shifted and they said, there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. For somebody else, there was this internal desire that was craving something more than they were experiencing. There was this internal nagging that made them feel as though life is about more than existing. There there has to be more than what I'm experiencing. And it was that set of circumstances that God used to open their eyes to spiritual matters. For somebody else, it might have been the death of a loved one, close family member, a friend. And whenever that person passed away, it was like the reality of eternity set in. And all of a sudden, God woke them up to spiritual matters. For somebody else, it might have been the compounding effect of Scripture, of being in church for years on end, of maybe having that close friend, Christian friend, who kept sharing the gospel or inviting them to come. And then just one day, it just began to click. And when you look back, you see that person put in this piece. And there was that message I heard on this day. And there was that Sunday school teacher that invested in my life here. And it was the compounding effect of those things that God used to get your attention when it came to the gospel so here is your key truth for the morning this is why it's so important your motivation when entering relationship may unintentionally determine the extent of that relationship your motivation when entering relationship may unintentionally determine the extent of that relationship so i'm going to unpack that idea Unpack the implications that surround that this morning. I invite you, if you're not already there, to go with me in your Bibles, Philippians chapter number three. We are back in verses seven through 11. Today is the second message in a series that we're doing. The series is simply relationship that I may know him. This is about an individual's personal relationship with God. So let's read the text once again Philippians chapter three, verses seven through 11. I'm speaking this morning on the subject, the motivation of relationship. Verse 7 and following. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask again today that your spirit would guide us into all truth, God, may this idea of the motivation of our relationship be something that is so clear, something that causes us to think about and to ponder the circumstances that surrounded the moment that we met you. God, we ask you to do a work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we began this new message series entitled Relationship, that I may know him. And we're focusing on the essence, the structure, the internal workings of this relationship with God. And for five weeks, we are focused on this exact same text. Every week, we go back to the same text, but we're coming at it from a different angle. So last week, we saw the goal of the relationship, and the goal of the relationship is to know Christ. And that's important because the goal we set is often going to be the target that we hit. So for some people, the goal of their relationship might have been to know more about God or it might have been to be a better person or it might have been to know more about the Bible or maybe somebody, the goal of their relationship was just getting into heaven one day when they die. The Apostle Paul states his goal in this text. His goal is to know Christ, found in verses 8 and 10. And that word know, it speaks of ongoing personal knowledge that's gained by contact. It's more than him just wanting to know about Christ. He's saying, I want to know him. I want to keep on knowing him. So last week, we focused on the goal of the relationship with God. And we asked the question, what are we trying to achieve? Today, we focus on the motivation of our relationship with God. And we're asking the question, why are we in the relationship at all? So here's your key truth once again. Your motivation when entering a relationship may unintentionally determine the extent of that relationship. Now, to understand our motivation, we need to go back to that moment when we place faith in Christ. And as we're studying this text, and the Apostle Paul is the one writing this text, for us to understand his motivation, we need to go back to the moment that he placed faith in Christ. That moment is found over in Acts chapter 9. Now, you can go ahead and turn over there if you would like, or if you'd like, I'm just going to read the text, and you can listen as we're kind of building out this idea. But many of you might be familiar with that story. It's the Damascus Road experience that the Apostle Paul had with Christ. Here's basically what took place. He was traveling to Damascus. He had papers from the high priest in order to arrest followers of Christ. Now, to get an idea of how he thought about Jesus and how he thought about followers of Christ, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, really sets the idea up well. Here's what it says in verse number 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He goes on a little bit later in Acts chapter 22 in order to tell us that Whenever Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned for his faith, not only was the Apostle Paul there, not only did the Apostle Paul agree with the stoning, but he tells us in Acts chapter 22 that he was actually holding the coats of the guys who were throwing the rocks at Stephen. That's how much he hated followers of Christ. Still breathing threats and murders against the followers of Christ. Paul was not a fan of Jesus nor of his followers. He believed Jesus to be a false Messiah. And as a result of that, he believed that his followers were a threat against Judaism and the one true God. But all of that changed in Acts chapter 9. Here's what it says in chapter 9, verses 3 through 8. As he, speaking of Paul, or Saul at that point, was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell on the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. After arriving in Damascus, regaining his sight, being baptized, it tells us in verse number 20 that immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. Now, Paul's perspective changed immensely in Acts chapter 9. He starts the chapter breathing threats and murder. And he ends the chapter by saying, surely he is the son of God. That is a massive change in just a few verses. It it changed his perspective of who God is. It changed his perspective of who Jesus was. And on that road, it changed his perspective even of himself. Pride and self-righteousness crumbled as he recognized that Jesus is and was the Son of God. He he went from thinking he was in absolute control to being led by the hand by somebody else in just a few moments. Do you know how hard that is for somebody who's a control freak? Amen. At one moment, they think they have it all together. And the next moment they are having to rely on somebody else to get from point A to point B. They're, they're, they're immediately seeing that their life is different. He went from persecuting jesus to proclaiming jesus and then get this he realized that the exact same jesus he hated is the same jesus who came and found him don't let that phrase slip by you jesus found him on that damascus road Saul and by the way if I go back and forth between Saul and Paul we're talking about the same guy it's Saul prior to Christ it's Paul after Christ prior to that moment you don't find him questioning his faith you don't have him considering maybe I need a change in my spiritual walk he is running as fast as he could away from Jesus he is persecuting followers of Jesus and on that Damascus road, Jesus found him. It is a defining moment in Paul's life. You find that Paul, or Saul the sinner, now runs headlong into Jesus the Savior. You find in that moment that the persecutor met the persecuted, and it totally flipped the script in his mind. The same guy who boasted of his self-righteousness now realized he's the chief of sinners. The same guy who thought he was doing everything right, realized in just a moment that he had persecuted the Son of God, that he had hated the very Messiah that he claimed to love, that he had arrested and killed innocent people, and even with all of that, Jesus still came for him. Two motivating truths hit home that day. Saul is a great sinner And Jesus is a great Savior. You cannot help but see that in that text. Those two motivating truths, motivating factors are so important when you read Philippians chapter 3. Now that you have the backstory, now that you see some of the motivation, now that you're reminded of these were the events that were occurring right when Jesus found him, now I want you to listen to his words again. Verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. When a person recognizes the magnitude of their sins in light of the holiness of God, when a person realizes how far they were from Christ and he still came after them. When they recognize there was nothing that they could do in their strength, and their righteousness, and in their ability to make themselves right with the Holy God. When they recognize that, the idea of knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, and serving Jesus becomes the most appealing concept that they've ever heard. Why? Because a person who recognizes the depths of their sin is overwhelmed with the grace of God. He called all of his accomplishments prior to this point, he called it rubbish. It's another word for dung. He said all of that, the things that I held on to, he, he said it, it's rubbish compared to what I have. Now keep reading what he says in verse number 9. Not having a righteousness of my own. Stop there real quick. I'm going to tell you there's times that I get so excited, it's like i got to pause before I can get it out. When someone thinks they were a great bargain when God found them, they will never worship him the way he desires to be worshipped. If you think you were right outside of heaven's gates, like I I had a few quirks, a few things that just didn't work out, but overall I was a good person. When somebody thinks that, they will never engage Jesus the way he desires and deserves. But when you recognize that you are a sinner before a holy God, When you recognize, as as it's said back in the old reformers, that you were like on a strand, like a a strand from a spider hanging over the pit of hell. And apart from Christ saving you, you would bust hell wide open. When you recognize that, your hands go up more in worship. When you recognize that, somebody doesn't have to pull you to get you to church. When you recognize what Jesus has done for you, it changes the way you think about what you think about but you got to remember where he found you. You know one of the biggest issues that Christians face? They forget the moment Jesus saved them. you got to go back. you got to remember. How do you have the joy of your salvation returned? Remember where he found you. Because when you remember where he found you, all of a sudden it sets your eyes in a different place. There's a fire that returns again to your spirits. You remember what he's done on your behalf. So here's my question. What motivated you to enter a relationship with Christ? Some of you might know this if you've heard a part of my story, but I grew up in Savannah, Georgia, and I actually went to a Christian middle school and high school. And every week, we would have a chapel service, And one of the pastors of the church would come in and they would share the gospel. They would preach. There was was a time that we would respond. And then there was a time back in the 80s or so when they decided to do something different. And they began to show some of the rapture movies. Some of you might remember the classics back in the day. A Thief in the Night. Yes. A Distant Thunder. The Mark of the Beast, those were some of the ones that that we were watching back in the day. Now, you all know if you watch those, they weren't the best as far as how they were put together. But let me tell you what they were great at. They would scare a middle schooler to death. (laughs) Because these videos, the the movies, they, they showed kids that were left as their parents were taken up in the rapture. It showed how there was mass chaos in the cities and how cars were abandoned on the highway and they showed empty churches on a Sunday morning. They showed society destabilizing and people having to get the mark of the beast in order to get bread and to get food and necessities and all of those things. So after the movie was shown, usually the youth pastor got tapped for this job, Dalton. Usually, they'd come in, and and here's what they'd do. They'd stand up and they would say, Everything you just saw is going to happen after Jesus raptures his church. Everything. Now, you can go through all of that and go to hell on the other side. Or you can pray a prayer and you can skip all of that and go to heaven when you die. Who wants to pray? Every hand shot up, mine included on that. I had motivation. Motivation had a name, fear. But listen closely. Fear is not the gospel. God may use fear in order to open your mind to the gospel message, but fear is not the gospel. On that day, there was a lot of kids who prayed a prayer out of fear, but they didn't understand the gospel. They didn't understand that their sin had separated them from God. They didn't understand that Jesus died on the cross, a substitutionary death, to pay the penalty for their sin. They did not understand that he rose again on the third day, that they might have life. They did not understand that by placing faith in Jesus Christ, it is also repenting of your sin, recognizing your way was wrong and his way is right. They didn't see that. So what happened? A lot of people prayed a prayer, and there wasn't change that happened. Truth be known, and I, I'm saying this somewhat comically, somewhat truthfully, On that day, we would have prayed to Muhammad. We would have prayed to Buddha. We'd have prayed to the big bad wolf if we thought it would have helped. But as Ken has already said, there is salvation in no other name except Jesus. I have to know how all of that connects back to Christ and what he has done on our behalf. That's the essence of where the gospel is at So when you gave your life to Christ, what were the motivating factors surrounding it? Because your motivation when entering relationship may unintentionally determine the extent of the relationship. If somebody prayed a prayer out of fear or out of coercion or out of desperation but they didn't understand the gospel, as a result of that, they go forward in life but there's no spiritual fruit, there's no change, there's no passion, there's no new desires and then they wonder what happened, what's wrong with me? Why is it that everybody else around me seems to get it and I keep missing it? The reason is because the gospel is not the gospel of fear. It's not the gospel of coercion. It's not the gospel of desperation. It's the gospel of grace. That's why it's the good news. For that individual, they need to repent of their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. And when they are in right relationship to him, growth is a natural byproduct of being connected with your Savior. So there's some people they understood the gospel. They're absolutely saved, but they have continued to focus heavily on the circumstances surrounding their salvation. Let me explain what I mean by that. That is, for that individual, they go through and they still focus on the death of that loved one. They focus on personal crisis. They focus on a deep unsettledness, whatever that was inside that was making them think there's got to be something more in life. They they focus on the time they hit rock bottom, and they don't want to do that again. And the extent of their relationship gets tapped out because here's what they do. If their reason for coming into relationship was just to avoid hell, then between now and eternity, they're like, thank you, Jesus, I'm good. It tapped them out in the relationship. If the reason they entered a relationship is because of crisis, they only come back to him every time there's another crisis. If the reason that they got into the relationship is because of the death of a loved one and because they felt like their life was crumbling around them, once they get back to that place, they're like, let me go find Jesus again because he's the one who helped me last time. But here's the thing. It might be that God used those circumstances to get your attention But it is intended to point you to Jesus and to point you to the power of gospel that will save your life. So think about the Apostle Paul's conversion story again. God used the circumstances of a bright light, temporary blindness, and a voice from heaven to get his attention. But what you don't see the Apostle Paul doing is spending the rest of his life on the same Damascus road waiting for another bright light preparing for temporary blindness like i don't want to go too far in case god strikes me blind again or acting only when he heard an audible voice from god out of heaven those were specific circumstances that got his attention but the gospel became his motivation by and large Churches are not usually interested in asking the why question when somebody says they want to be saved. Why do you want it? Because sometimes people will tell you up front, Well, I'm going through this crisis and I think he can help. That's the moment. That's the moment when the disciple of Christ says he can help. But let me tell you, it's about more than this moment. It's about being rightly related to your Savior. We have to ask the why question. Most of the time, we're just excited people are interested. And we try to close the deal before they change their mind. We need to ask some questions. Why are you interested? What about the gospel message is drawing you in? What is appealing to you? Because unless a person understands that they are a sinner separated from a holy God that Jesus died on their cross to pay the penalty for their sin, that he rose from the dead, that they might have life. And that he's offering eternal life, a reconciled relationship to those who repent of their sin by placing faith in Jesus. Unless they understand that and place faith in the gospel message, they might be religious, but they're still lost. And if a person's not saved, there's no deepening of a relationship. There's no intimacy to enjoy. There is no relationship to develop at all. Now, I am not, I am not trying to make people doubt their salvation. That is not what I'm trying to do here. What I am attempting to do is to encourage people to ask the hard questions today that you will be grateful you asked when standing in eternity. Ask the hard question today. What was my motivation for entering a relationship with Christ? What was the thing that stirred me to this? And at what point did the circumstances shift over so that the gospel became my motivation? Fear might have gotten a person's attention, but the gospel has to be motivation. Crisis might have gotten our attention, but the gospel has to be the motivation. Job loss might have been the thing to get our attention, but the gospel has to be the motivation. The answer to the questions that we're looking for in life all flow out of a right relationship with God. A right relationship with God flows out of the gospel message. It goes back to that. So what is the gospel? I shared it last week. and Before I share it, This week, I wanna make sure that we are so, so clear that everybody's on the same page going forward from here. I want us to personalize this as much as we possibly can. Here it is. God has used certain motivating factors to bring every person who's in this room into this room today. There's different motivating factors. God is using certain motivating factors for people who are watching online to be watching online today now all of those motivating factors will be a part of your story it'll be a part of your testimony it might even help you understand how how far god has gone in order to redeem you and to bring you to himself but at the end of the day those motivating pieces those circumstances cannot be the ultimate reason you're in the relationship. There's some people that are in the room right now that you're maybe here from out of town. Maybe you're here because you're spending some time with family and friends. And in your mind, you had this trip planned. I'm going to go to Albany, Georgia. I'm going to hang out with my family and friends. But here's the other thing. It might be that God has you in this room today because he's going to share a message that will change your life today and for all eternity. There might have been circumstances to get you in the room. But it's going to be the gospel that takes you further away. Some are here because you've had friends that would not let up on you. And sometimes you get mad at that friend. Every time you talk to that friend, it was Jesus this and a Bible verse for that. And there's just times you're just like, I got it. But today you're here. And you're here right now. And there's a gospel message that can set you free. Listen, that friend, you are going to want to thank them after today. But ultimately, all praise and glory goes back to God because of the gospel that will set you free. Some people are watching online. And maybe it's because of job loss or maybe it's because of depression or anxiety. Maybe it's because you've just gone through the death of a close friend or family member. Whatever it might be, you're searching for something. And God will use those circumstances in order to introduce you to Jesus And when you know Jesus, the gospel message of Christ will transform your life. God uses the circumstances. Please hear me in this. The circumstances cannot be the ultimate motivating factor. They get you to the foot of the cross, but it's what Jesus has done on the cross that will save your life. And when you get to the foot of the cross, here's what you'll find. You didn't get there because of that other friend. You didn't get there because of those circumstances. You are where you are because the God of heaven, the creator of this universe, has pursued you through the corridors of time. And he's the one who orchestrated the events that brought you to that place so that as your creator, he can set you free so that you can experience why he made you to begin with. He's a good God. So what is that gospel message? Here it is again, very simply. Humanity was created for relationship with God. You are not here by accident. You are not here because of a problem. You are here by design. Our sin separated us from that relationship. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not that... Just some sin worse than others. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Somebody might say, but you don't know what I've done. It's not what you've done. It's that you've sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Somebody might say, but you don't know how bad it is. It's not about the amount of your sin. It's not about how long you've been a sinner. It is the nature of sin. Sin separates us from God. But here's here's where it goes from there. There's nothing that we could ever do to make things right ourselves. Your good works, they're not enough to make you right with God. Religion, not enough to make you right with God. Morality, nothing wrong with morality. It's not enough to make you right with a holy God. At the essence of religion is a desire to believe or to do a certain set of things to make sure you're right with God. Why do people naturally assume something's wrong? Because deep in the heart of humanity, we know there's a separation that's occurred. This is, this is where the story shifts from us and our sin to Jesus and what he's done. There was nothing we could do to make things right. But Jesus did for us what we could not do. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the dead on the third day that we might have life. And he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship to those who will say, you were right and I was wrong. I turned from my sin. I place faith in what Jesus has done for me. When a person does that, he gives them eternal life, a right relationship with God. My question for you is, do you know that you know that you know that you are in right relationship with God? Not I think, not I assume, do you know? I've had people tell me over the years, my grandmother served in the Salvation Army, therefore I'm a Christian. That's not how you become a Christian. Somebody might say, if I get to heaven and I'm staying outside the gates and God asks me why should I let him in, it's going to be because I've gone to church, I've done good deeds, i tried to treat people with respect. Nothing wrong with those things but there's salvation in no other name other than Jesus. It's all about him. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, just bow with me where you are for just a moment. Bow with me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're going to hear a little bit of noise in the background. It's going to be part of our band and our praise team. They're coming. They're going to be taking their places here. But this is a time between you and Christ. This is a time... reflection with you and God my question again is do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you are in right relationship with God and if you know that you're not or if you wonder if you are let today be that day that you finalize that in your mind once and for all so I'm going to lead in a very simple prayer in just a moment and this prayer it It's not that there's magical words that I'm saying, that if you just pray these words, you're saved. That's not what this is. Jesus has done everything that is necessary for us to be saved. All we're doing in this moment is we are verbalizing with our mouth that we are placing faith in what Jesus has done for us. So this is a time between you and God. If you're not sure, if you want to know that your sins have been forgiven, that you have eternal life, that you can step into your created purpose before God, then I want to encourage you, if there is that desire in your heart, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me, but it is directed to God. You You don't have to pray it out loud. This is between you and God. Here's what that prayer would be. God, I know that I have sinned, and I know that my sin has separated me from you ask you today to forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. And Jesus rose again on the third day that I might have life. As best I know how, I turned from my sin and I place faith in what Jesus has done for me. God, would you save me? With heads bowed, eyes still closed. At this moment, I simply want to rejoice with you, wherever you might be. Heads bowed, eyes still closed. But if you prayed with me at that time, wherever you are, for just a moment, would you lift your hand wherever you might be all around? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Dozens of hands have gone up. You may put them down. Thank you, praise God. In just a moment, I'm going to have another prayer, and we're going to open up a time of invitation. There's going to be pastors that are standing down at the end of each of these rows. There's going to be some people that today, you need to take that next step. You need to go take one of those pastors by the hand. And you need to say, today I pray to receive Christ. And they will help you take the right steps moving forward from there somebody else in the room maybe you've recognized that that you were truly saved no question about that but your motivation along the way you've you've focused on the circumstances that led to the relationship without focusing on the gospel to take you further make today a day that you say God may my life from this point forward be about the gospel there's might be some people here today that you need prayer you're going through a difficult time you just need somebody to pray with you it might just be something between you and God that you want to take care of today. I'm going to have a word of prayer, and when I say amen, I'm going to ask you to stand at that time. And the invitation is open, the altar is open. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for what you were doing. We ask God today that you would give people courage to share with someone about placing faith in Christ. God, help Each person, wherever we might be in this journey with you, help us to take that next step. And God, we will thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.